So last week we had our first insight into our new series, which is based on the book of Mark. Awesome. So my friends, should we plow on in? Great. I'm going to pray before I start and then we'll get going. So Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week we saw the transition from the ministry of John the Baptist, the one heralding the arrival of the Messiah, to the launching of Jesus' public ministry. Today we're going to see what that public ministry actually looks like in operation. What did Jesus come to do? So if you have your Bible, either paper-based or touchscreen, can you please turn to the book of Mark and we will be looking at chapter 1 and we'll be looking at verses 21 through to 45. What is most striking in these opening chapters in Mark's gospel is the clear and obvious authority of Jesus. That authority is displayed in a variety of arenas and settings. But that authority is absolute. It is astonishing, it's amazing, and it is unparalleled. It's like nothing that mankind has ever seen. Now, I'm certainly not going to try and build up suspense or surprise you about what Jesus has done, as that is something that we have looked at potentially many times before. But within the verses we'll be looking at today, his authority is seen, first of all, in his teachings and also in his ability to perform the miraculous. What amazing and astonishing authority it was. Now, it's really easy for us to get caught up in all the healings and miracles of Jesus and how he had the power to cast out evil spirits and even raise the dead. But we're going to be looking at the balance between the miracles and Jesus' teaching today. What should we focus on? I mean, I reckon there is one logical way to be looking at this. My focus, our focus, should be the same as the focus of Jesus. What was his priority in all this? We'll We'll clearly see this in the text today. So I'm going to start working our way through some of those verses and just picking out things that I thought were interesting, relevant, hopefully. So, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. So, Capernaum was the initial base of the operations of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. Now remember, he had been born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth so that he was known as a Nazarene. But he made Capernaum the base of his ministry. Now, the location was important for the first section that we're looking at today. They occurred in a synagogue. Now, a synagogue is a building where... The Jews could meet and they worshipped and they prayed and they listened to the public readings and they studied the word of God. It was an assembly place, a gathering place. At the synagogue, that is where you would find the people who were most serious at the interest of God's revelation. So these kind of hardcore people would meet on the Sabbath um, and, and study and really get down to the nitty gritty. So Jesus, he wasted no time in getting about his father's business. We see his priority right away, teaching. 
explaining the truth of God's revelation, making the connection from the minds and the hearts of God to the heart and the mind of man. <clears throat> and there was a pretty unusual response to his teaching, and I can say this from the standpoint of a teacher. They were amazed at his teaching. I dream of the day when I'm standing in my classroom and they go, oh, Mr. Fairbank, that was amazing. It doesn't, I mean, they might be thinking it in their head, but they don't really vocalize it so much. So, first of all, they listened. He held their attention. They were not distracted or bored or disinterested, which, I tell you, as a teacher, is no mean feat. Even though, I mean, actually, I'm just thought, have a quick look. You tell you what, there's not too many bored people out there, so it's going okay so far. So they listened and they were amazed, which again is quite something because every Sabbath they had been coming to the synagogue all of their lives and hearing a wide variety of invited speakers. They'd been exposed to large doses of God's word and explanations by various scribes and religious leaders, yet what they were hearing on that day seemed different and unique. There are a number of New Testament words that can be translated as amazed. This is the strongest, the word explesso which is to strike a person out of his senses by strong feeling, as in, he blew their minds. <laughs> so how did he blow their minds? Verse 22, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. So why were they so amazed? Jesus was no mere teacher of the law. Jesus proclaimed revelation directly from God rather than just interpreting the former revelations that God had given to others and reiterating the traditional interpretations of the law. Jesus spoke the truth without loads of technical language to make himself seem clever and important or using ambiguous language to dance around the truth or be non-committal. He had the correct interpretation not just one option that he could offer more support than the other three options. His word was final and the supreme word on the subject. No higher court of authority. He could explain the truth in ways that were understandable. He could illustrate the truth with the best illustrations. Here's my attempt at an illustration, which quite frankly is an awful thing to try and do after saying that. Okay, we've got a court case, a legal case. You may well bring in an expert witness to speak on some aspects of the facts. So maybe someone in the area of psychology or maybe some kind of DNA expert. Both sides have their experts who disagree in their conclusions, although they're dealing with the same evidence. Jesus trumped all other experts, the ultimate authority. In one book that I read when reading about this, put it this way. This sounds, this, you can tell it's from a book because it sounds very intelligent. It was self-authenticating truth corresponding to an inner conviction in each person who heard him. It took me ages to work out what that was trying to say, but actually it, it is amazing. It was a self-authenticating truth 
corresponding to an inner conviction in each person who heard him. So Jesus spoke with conviction, with passion, with intensity. You can imagine the tone of his voice, the inflections, the emotion. The truth meant everything to him. The most charismatic speaker ever, the ultimate communicator. But what type of authority did Jesus have? So this is somewhat a mystery to us because it involves his relationship within the Trinity as well as his dual nature as fully God and yet fully man. But Jesus was operating in dependence upon his heavenly Father. He had laid aside the independent exercise of his own authority and submitted in the most beautiful way to his Father's authority. Listen to what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is found in Matthew 26, verse 39. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This shows that Jesus understands that he is under the authority of the Father. What his will is, and he is submitting to that will and authority. But to carry on that train of thought, the authority of God is sourced within the Father. Because look at Jesus' commands um, to his disciples at his resurrection. All authority has been given unto me, so now I command you. What is clear is that Jesus in his public ministry is manifesting the unique and absolute authority of God. So, Jesus started with teaching, and boy does he know how to do it, and know what people need to hear. What comes next? Well, we will certainly see some more of Jesus' authority being shown. Verse 23, and just then there and just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So look how different the reaction is between the unclean spirit compared to the people that were just listening and in the presence of Jesus. The people were amazed and did not, what, did not know what to make of him. The demons were fearful because they understood exactly who he really was. As it says in uh, James 2 verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out <clears throat> with a loud voice and came out of him. It's interesting. The cultural and expected reaction for a servant under authority is to take orders. But God's servant exercises authority and gives orders, even to demons, and his orders are obeyed. The evil spirits, the demons, know why the Son of God has come. They know the battle is on. They know the kingdom has arrived because the king is present. And they are well aware that this could mean that their destruction is imminent. 
So more than any other time in history, they escalate their, acti their activity. They don't want to expose themselves, but they can't help it when confronted by Jesus. And his invincibility over them comes manifestly obvious. Verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Jesus just speaks, and the, speaks the word and commands obedience. No superstitious rituals, no chanting or weird practices. There wasn't a chance to get as distracted away from what was going on here. Jesus just wanted people to get it, to understand what he was about. And look how the attention goes back to his teaching straight after this miracle. That was his priority. That is, as you can probably tell by now, what I feel one of the key messages is to take out of the word. The amazing authoritative teaching ministry of Jesus Christ should take priority over the healings and miracles and casting out demons. I will get back to that a little bit later, but that's what I feel like one of the key things I want to take out of this today. Everything else was designed to authenticate Jesus as the true son of God, the one who was speaking truth from God. Now, the events that have happened so far were so remarkable that within hours, the word had spread like a flame through all the area. By evening, they were bringing the sick, the demon-possessed into the city to be healed by Jesus. So the events that follow are all happening during the same day. And immediately after, sorry, I'm, I'm now reading the verses again. Uh, and immediately after, they had come out of the synagogue. They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And when the evening had come and the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, in order that I might preach there also. For that is what I came out for. So here we get to see kind of the two different camps of thought. Peter and his view that the healing ministry of Jesus was primary as did many of his companions. Everyone's looking for you. Stay here. Keep healing. Peter encouraged Jesus to stay where he could not escape the pressure to perform miracles. Whereas Jesus viewed it as only a small part of his larger mission. He had come out from God to fulfill this mission of his. So Jesus chose to move on to other parts of Galilee where he could present the gospel and his claims, since that is what, as he said, I came out for. 
you can imagine that he just wants to leave that. He's done that. He then wants to go and do what his priority is. And what a contrast this is with some people today. There are healers who go about advertising their healing campaigns and try to bring out the crowds on that basis, emphasizing the spectacular in what they do. But you see nothing of this in the Bible. Even with the apostles, the physical healings that went on in their ministries were played down just as in Jesus's. They never advertised them. I want to pick out one little verse that I read, which was, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Why did Jesus seek the Father's face like this in these hours of pressure? The only answer we can come to is that he wants to make clear that the authority that he had was not coming from him. This is what our Lord is trying to get across to us continually in the scriptures. That it was not his authority by which he acted. He had to receive it from the Father. Um, and now we go on to the last miracle from what we're looking at today. And he went into their, into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved, and moved with compassion, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, the fact that the leper came to Jesus is a big shock. He's not supposed to do that. Outcasts were forbidden to come near anyone. And more to the point, nobody ever touched a leper back in those days. But rather than turning from the leper, Jesus turns to him. Indeed, he touches him, bringing himself into full contact with physical and ritual untouchability. I'm not even sure it's a real word, but we're going to keep it. Thank you. The outstretched arm of Jesus is a long reach for his day, for any day. It removes the social, physical and spiritual separations prescribed by the Torah and custom alike. The touch of Jesus speaks more loudly than his words, and the words of Jesus touch the leper more deeply than any act of human love. Because you know what should have happened at that point? The uncleanness, I'm now making up words as we go along, the uncleanness of the leper should have transferred both ritually and possibly physically to Jesus, making him unclean. But the exact opposite happens. The cleanliness of Jesus is instead transferred to the leper. Not unlike the woman uh, with a hemorrhage that touched his garment. This is the inherent purity, holiness and power of God the Son in operation. Next part. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and, off, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But 
he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about it to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. So you can see now from this little bit, we've got a miracle that's been promoted too much and Jesus is being stopped from what he actually wants to do. So Mark is the only evangelist who recorded that compassion moved Jesus to heal this pitiful man. But, however, the man disobeys Jesus. Even though he probably thought he had a good reason to do so, namely bring, bring praise to Jesus, but his disobedience to Jesus' word frustrated his work rather than advancing it. Jesus needed to minister to people, but the leper's actions forced him to spend more time in uninhabited, solitary places. Okay, we've gone through those verses. We've taken out, hopefully, some key, interesting and thought-provoking things. So how can we now take this and apply it to us? Yep. Jesus is a great teacher. Yep, Jesus can do miracles. For many of us, that is not new knowledge. But I'm hoping throughout what I've said so far, there have, there's been a consistent theme throughout. Looking at that balance between what Jesus said and what he did. Jesus prioritized teaching. And he used the miracles to authenticate and make people believe what he was saying. He's basically saying, if I can do miraculous things, listen and believe what I'm teaching and saying. So, application one, don't be blinded. Now, I've tried to keep this under wraps. When I, when I got this and I read through it and I basically worked out that the theme is going to be teaching is really important. I was like, oh, come on, I'm a teacher. So hang on. Teaching is really important. Therefore, teachers must be the most important. Therefore, I am king of the world. But there is some sort of parallel. By the way, that's not true. I realise I should probably quickly disclaim that. Um, but there is some sort of parallel that we can take with being blinded by the miraculous in front of us. Once I, I had to teach the children in my class the life cycle of a frog. So I start by actually teaching the life cycle of a frog. We look at some pictures. We talk about how the changes go. But then to make it more real and to make it happened in front of them. I uh, jollied down to Sweatford Water Meadows and I collected up a small amount of frog spawn. I took it into the classroom and over the next days, weeks, months, it took a while, we saw it happen in front of our eyes. So they could then see something wonderful to kind of show and prove what had been taught to them already. Now this can go one or two ways. With a majority of the class having seen their pet tadpoles grow up and have a wonderful life in the classroom, uh, they were able to then talk about what they had learnt, talk about the theory and see how they had changed. Great. The wonderful thing had helped the learning process. 
Um, there, was, there, was, there was one child who I was going to say nameless, but we'll, we'll call her Stephanie. When I asked her about the life cycle of a frog, proceeded to talk about Sparkles the frog, which she had named one, and talked about how Sparkles was the best frog ever, and that one day they wanted to get a pet frog. They got so wrapped up in the wonder of what was in front of them, they would completely forgotten to think about the learning and what the purpose of it was. The wonder of the physical demonstration of the frogs growing had got in the way and distracted from the learning that was trying to come out of it. Hopefully you can see where I'm kind of getting at. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. People, including me, including us, can sometimes focus a bit too much on the miracles and forget the reason for the miracle. But if Jesus' focus was on teaching the message, the truth, then that should be our priority and our focus too. So application two kind of leads on from that. Are we using the miracles as signs? Author Philip Yancey writes that a sign is not the same thing as proof. A sign merely is a marker for someone who is looking in the right direction. The miracles point us in the direction of Jesus as the Son of God. So are we paying attention to them as signs? Jesus performed miracles to affirm his true identity as the Son of God. One detail that stands about the miracles of Jesus is how few he actually performs. The infrequency of Jesus' wondrous, wondrous acts informs us that miracles were only a small portion of his ministry. That's what we're trying to unpack today. The miracles actually served as signs pointing to a greater reality. Acts 2.22 declares that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by miracles, wonders and signs. The miracles substantiated the claims of Jesus to be the Son of God. The people of the day were wowed by Jesus' miracles. However, Jesus knew that the wow factor was not enough to encourage long-term obedient faith. When the wonders ceased, Jesus understood that the crowds would turn somewhere else for entertainment. So, as already discussed, rather than impressing the crowds, Jesus actually requested the silence of those that he healed. And then he used the occasion of the miracle to teach his closest followers about his vocation as the saviour who would suffer, die and rise again. So Jesus recognised that the hope of the world did not rest on a few isolated healings in rural Galilee, but rather than on the climatic, climatic miracle of his death and resurrection from the grave. The miracles, as signs pointing to a deeper truth about Jesus, should cause us to place our faith in him. So, don't land at the miracles. It's like looking at a road sign of Fording Bridge and then just stand there looking at it and not actually getting to Fording Bridge. Or the wise men seeing a great big star and just going, oh, it's so beautiful, and then not going on the journey. 
Last application. Following Jesus' example. So, Jesus prioritised spreading the truth and not about the actions of this world. That is what we should do. How can we do this? Well, that is a whole nother preach to unpack. But it should be our priority. Telling people about Jesus, telling people the good news, and telling people about the ultimate miracle that Jesus performed on the cross. Jesus spoke with authority. That is what we should do. Because Jesus secured our power and our authority. Jesus succeeded in securing all power by going to the cross, dying a horrible death, suffering the penalty for sin and defeating Satan in the pit of hell. He came to earth as a man for one reason, to recapture the authority that Satan had stolen through Adam's disobedience in the garden. In Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the authority of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So you have, as a believer, been delivered from the authority of darkness and placed into God's kingdom. That power was given to you as part of your inheritance in Jesus Christ. You have entered into this position of authority because you are in him. Jesus has delegated power um, or authority over Satan to you, you are to give him, Satan, no place in your life. You are born of the Spirit of God. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You have been given the Word of God. Those three elements are enough for you to carry out your spiritual authority here in the earth. You don't need any more power. You have all the authority and power necessary. You have to simply exercise your authority. Jesus has already done everything necessary to secure that authority and power over sin, sickness, demons, and fear. So we need to employ the faith action to receive the authority and join forces with him in this earth. You are the one to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Jesus acknowledged that any authority that we have, as we just talked about, comes from the Father. As explored earlier, Jesus knew that authority comes from the Father, and that he was under that, but also authority was given to him. My friends, we have that authority. It is being given to us, as have some of the specific miraculous gifts Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, and discerning between the spirits. These are to work together as a whole along with the proclamation of the word of God, authenticating and validating his authority. So that all in all, God might be glorified, his church might be built, and our witness might go out to the world. So can I invite the worship band to come up as I kind of bring this to a close? The main headline of this word today is that the healings, miracles, and exorcisms performed by Jesus were truly spectacular. I'm really not trying to diminish those. 
but his teaching is what should fully grab our attention every day. So, a few kind of rhetorical questions to ponder, to think, to work through. Do you feel like your focus and attention can sometimes be deflected away from the teaching? Coming here today, did you come here just to see healings or hear his teaching? A mixture of both. I'm really not trying to raise the importance of God's teaching by pushing down the miracles. So, we can expect healing of miracles today. We know that. So, in response to this, I think there's three. Is there anyone here who feels like they've got no authority? Who feels like that's just not something that they've got? I think, well, (laughs) I really pray and hope that after listening to that, authority is something that you as a believer have got. You just need to receive it. So if you feel that's you, I'd love to pray for you. Dale, up for a prayer? Please. Healings. We've heard about healings, and healings are important. Jesus did it and used it. So if there is anyone here who needs some kind of physical or spiritual healing, then we can stand here in faith and go, yeah, let's do it. And for those people who have sat here, they feel full of that authority, then use it. Speak out. Use those miraculous gifts, words, pictures, knowledge, tongues, Use it and do it with authority. Think about opportunities going forward where you can go out into Fording Bridge, go out into your workplace and speak with the authority that God has given you. So three prayer points. Being filled with authority, healings, miracles and opportunities to use the authority that God has given you.